morning, church. Um, bit of an unconventional way of doing a message for you this morning, but um, yeah, it's been a difficult time for us over this last uh, little season. Cara's father's not been well, and uh, I think you've probably had the message read out that we sent uh, to the team this morning that uh, Cara's dad passed away in the early hours of this morning. Um, David was going to preach, but he's had his own things going on with his uh, sister-in-law passing away yesterday. So didn't want to put anything on extra on him this morning. So, I mean, if you're going to get a message from me, this is probably the best way, let's be honest. You get to he- hear me but not see me. I mean, that's a blessing for everybody that's involved. So um, if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to try and make this as normal as possible. Um, you just don't get me stood at the front because uh, I'm just going to be with the family this morning as we, we sort out things that are happening for us. But if you've got a Bible, it's Luke 24. We're carrying on with our portrait of Christ season uh, of, of messages. And uh, I think this is part 15. Uh, and so we're, we're getting into the final week of Jesus's life, uh, his earthly ministry. Uh, and then we're going to, I think there's another couple of weeks left for this series. For those of you that want to crack on with something new, uh, if you've been here for every week, well done. If not, then I encourage you just to catch up online because I've got to be honest, I could preach about Jesus for the next 10 years. In fact, hey, we might we might just do that because um, it's just, it, it really is inviting us into a new way to be human. So Luke 24, just the first 11 verses, they should come up on the screen. Uh, if not, grab a Bible. Uh, if not, I will read them to you. And it says this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. We'll find out who they are in a moment. It says, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while you were still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, this is the they from earlier on. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. I want to preach to you this morning around the title, How's Your Week Been? How's Your Week Been? When we were at uh, growing up in church, kids' church, they used to ask us each week, how's your week been? And we used to do this little thing where it was thumbs up, if your week's been good, thumbs down, uh, if it's been not so good. And then you'd put your kind of thumbs in the middle and waggle them uh, up and down if it had been one of those middly weeks. Now, if I was to ask you to do that, and I, if I was there, I would, uh, you can all put your thumbs up or thumbs down or wiggle them in the middle. Uh, and the ultimate optimists amongst you, the glass always half full kind of people, your thumbs are going to be up no matter what your week's been like. And those that are more prone to pessimism, uh, maybe you, you can only see the bad things that have happened this week and it's thumbs down. Um, it's been a tough week for us. And, and I can be honest, there's still even in a tough week like this, there's been moments that have been up and moments that are down. But actually, the reality is that most weeks are kind of up and down. How's your week been? How's your week been? Maybe it's uh, waking up in the morning and, uh, you know, I think today's going to be a good day. Today's going to be a good day. And then the kids wake up or something else happens and, and it's just downhill from there. How's your week been? This week in scripture, 
uh, that is climactic moment of this week that we've just read about. It is probably uh, one of the most detailed weeks in all of scripture. It's, um, it's, it's recorded in the Gospels and uh, we observed this week on the run up to Easter traditionally. It's called Holy Week or Passion Week. We're doing it outside of that. Uh, and, and really I'm valuing doing this series and looking at certain elements of Jesus' life outside of the time when you traditionally look at them. Because it's just giving us a fresh perspective on stuff. And the church traditionally celebrate this week leading up to this Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And it starts the Sunday before on Palm Sunday as Jesus rides in on this donkey. It's this moment of celebration where the people are crying out and praising God. But like most weeks, that's the thumbs up. But then there's a thumbs down as the, the Pharisees and the leaders and the scribes uh, tell Jesus to tell his followers to stop praising him, that it's blasphemous. And then traditionally, uh, Monday is where we see Jesus go into the temple and he sees these people selling animals and trading money and Jesus gets angry and turns over the tables and, and cha- uh, chases the money changers out. Tuesday, we believe that Jesus returns to the temple and the priests and the elders question him about his authority and Jesus teaches and there's some complex stuff in there and it's a little bit confusing and then he makes his way up to the Mount of Olives. Wednesday is, is often known as the silent day in scripture. Uh, there's possibly one verse in, in Luke that suggests that maybe Jesus went back to the temple to teach but otherwise it's a silent day. And then there's Thursday, Maunday Thursday. And for those that grew up in church, for me, I always thought it was Maundy Thursday. Uh, It meant that we were meant to mourn because it was that day that, that, yeah, Jesus has that meal and it's some good food, but but Jesus is going to be betrayed and he's going to be arrested and he's in the garden and he's so so under pressure that he's sweating blood. But actually Maundy comes from the Latin uh, that just means commandment. This is Commandment Thursday. This is the moment where Jesus is with his followers and says, um, guys, this is how you're going to stand out in the world. It's by your love for one another that the world will know that you're my disciples. Calling of the church to be radically different in the way we love each other. Then Friday, Jesus brought before Pilate and these various trials and he's convicted a criminal and sentenced to death. Crucifixion, it's the most painful and humiliating of death sentences as he is forced to carry his own cross There are nails driven through his hands and his feet and then he's lifted naked in front of the crowds where ultimately he suffocates in his own blood and the passers-by, they mock him and others being crucified alongside him mock him. And Jesus is on that cross for six hours and he cries out, it is finished, three of the most powerful words in the whole of humanity. Luke 23, 46 says, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And then Jesus is buried. Sundown Friday until sundown Saturday is the Sabbath. It's the Jewish Sabbath. And then we're one week on from that triumphant entry, a week of ups and downs. We're one week on. And it's Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and it's the first day of the week, early dawn. And these women take spices and ointments that they've prepared. These women who knew Jesus so well, who the day before, on the Friday, two days before, had seen the Son of God, the Messiah, the Saviour of the world, all their hope being crucified on a cross. But today, those, those hopes that they had are now dead in a tomb. And they prepare spices to embalm the body of Jesus. It says in verse three of Luke 24, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine that moment? Filled with disappointment and confusion, making their way to that tomb, 
Jesus, you were meant to save us all. And now this. Your body's gone. Can you imagine the emotions of that day? In fact, can you imagine the emotions of that week? From that triumphant entry on the Sunday to being questioned by the Pharisees. Jesus getting angry in the temple and then Jesus teaching and the confusion that that brought. And then the silence and the good food. And then the garden and the betrayal and the trial and the death sentence, the crucifixion and now this. This week is up, down, anger, confusion, silence, good food, tears, confusion, confusion, more confusion, agony, loss, disappointment. What? I, I just sat, this is how my brain works, but I started to put a bit of a soundtrack to this moment. And this is what I came up with. It says this. Yeah, boo, ah, shh, mm, ah, what, 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 no, ah, ooh. Crazy week, eh? But a unique week, absolutely. But do you know what? That soundtrack sounds so much like the weeks that I experience. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Jesus. He has given me life and life in all its fullness. I've received the forgiveness that only he offers. He has transformed my life and he continues to do so. Jesus really just changed how we get to do this thing called humanity when we get close to him and understand who he's calling us to be. But can I be honest? doesn't mean every day of my life is easy. doesn't mean this week has been easy for us. Because the one thing we have in common is, is we drift. We drift. What do I mean by that? What, what do I mean by we, we drift? Well, you might have faith here this morning. You may not believe in Jesus and you're welcome here. We, we, we journey with, with everybody, whether you believe or not. But maybe you do believe this morning and maybe you had a great start to the week and maybe Sunday everything is good and we can see God clearly. And I remember David's sermon from a couple of weeks ago. I can see clearly now the rain has gone. Maybe that's the Sunday morning experience and we're singing loud and we're singing proud. But Sunday soon gives way to the good, the bad and the ugly of the week. God, I love you. God, I don't get you. God, what's going on? And all those emotions that go with it. And before we know it, our days seem inundated. We feel isolated. And maybe in a week we might get some good food. But otherwise, we, we just need to get through the day, pay the bills, hope that maybe we'll get to enjoy some stuff when we retire. But let me ask, for those of you that are retired here this morning, are you living the dream every single day? Is every day just like a celebration of God's goodness and, and an amazing moment to live? From the youngest to the oldest, how, how's your week been? Faith-filled on a Sunday but struggling to get by after Monday evening? It's because we drift. And let's be honest, sometimes it doesn't even take a week. You might be here and you're like, John, I just, I mean, bless you for recording this message, but it would have been nice just to sing a few songs and go because we've got a really busy day and you don't know how busy the, the Birmingham road is on a Sunday morning and we need to get off and I hope he doesn't go on another one of his 50 minute messages and he's not even here. So maybe we can just slip out because he'll never know anyway. And those hands that were raised become clenched fists at that driver that cut you up. And you may think it's because you're less holy than everybody else. And, and maybe it's just because they're more holy and more spiritual than me. But how long did it take the closest followers of Jesus to drift? Those 11 followers of Jesus, even the women that were with them, approximately three days. Jesus' disciples, three days past him hanging on a cross and being buried in a tomb. And they are already locked behind closed doors, fearful and confused about everything that's going to take place. And what makes it more incredulous is that only a couple of days before this, Jesus has sat down for some good food and he's told his closest followers everything that was about to happen. Jesus used the elements of this meal, the, the meal that we would celebrate as communion, but it was a Passover meal. 
the bread and the wine, this feast. And he explains that this body, his bread, this bread as it's cracked is his body that's going to be broken. And this blood that we drink, this this wine, sorry, that we drink right now is in my blood that's going to be shed. It's a, it's a picture of what's going to happen. And then Jesus explains to Peter that, that you're going to betray me. And, and this is exactly how it's going to happen. And guess what? It happened exactly as Jesus said it. And then he explains that someone's going to betray him. And Judas does exactly what Jesus says. But now we have Jesus, who's already told them that the Son of Man must die, but will rise again on the third, t- third day. But this time, no, 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 not this time. This is, this is too much. I, I'm sorry, Jesus, but this one's just too hard for me to believe. And I wonder why. I wonder if it's because all our five senses tell us I cannot see it, I cannot hear it, I cannot smell it, I cannot taste it. And the mantra of our generation, I cannot feel it. And if I, if I don't get one of those five senses being satisfied, then I'm sorry, I simply can't believe it. And these 11 guys, it's taken them only three days. Three days of not seeing, not hearing, not smelling, not tasting and not feeling anything other than the loss and the confusion and disappointment of Jesus not doing and not being all they expected him to be. And now these women turn up and they say that this stone has been rolled away, that the tomb is empty and there's these angels. And and they just these 11 men, when they hear it, they say, go away with your fairy tales. Amazing, isn't it? But the, the physical, tangible, lips, hips and fingertips, Jesus Christ can be walking with his disciples one day and then a matter of days later it's completely forgotten everything he's told them is completely forgotten and they dismiss it as an idle tale i don't know about you but that encourages me but how do they get to that stage why do they get to that stage well i think it is because of these five senses that that we so rely on that we so think are are everything about what this world is that if I can see it, it's great. If I can hear it, fantastic. I can, I can feel it, amazing. And to these disciples, this looks like death, sounds like death, smells like death, tastes like death, and feels like death. Therefore, maybe Jesus isn't who he claimed to be. Maybe God isn't real. Take a look. You see, this is what I'm feeling. God can't be who he said he was. You know, we can sit for years in church and believe all we want about God during a sermon. But it's in the reality of life when we feel disappointed by God, when we feel let down, when what we say we believe in is tested, when we don't see what we thought we would or feel like we hoped we would, that's when we can start to drift. And these 11 guys, these 11 apostles, no less, boy, have they drifted. And this is not just the 11. Remember these women, they've come with spices and ointments. That's to say they arrived at this tomb expecting death. They were prepared to experience death but when they arrive they see the stones out of place and the tomb is empty and then there's these two men in dazzling white that start asking them questions second part of verse five says these these men in white apparel believe these were angels they they say to these women do you seek why do you seek the living among the dead really strange question isn't it because i mean the, the sensible response is well we're not We've come here with spices and ointments to embalm a dead body. We're looking for the dead among the dead. There's no one living here. This this grave is about death. And so we're looking for the dead among the dead. Thank you very much. The ointments and the spices showed their hope was dead in the grave. But verse six, we read those words. He is not here, but he has risen. 
Church, why is it that we're so tempted to, to seek life among that which is dead? What I mean is we so easily drift from the one who gives life and life in all its fullness. The one who redefines what it means to be human. This saviour who is not dead but lives. But why do we chase after so much in life from things that cannot satisfy? Oh, if only people would respect me. People, if only people would understand me, listen to me. If only I could have this job or, or that family, because let's be honest, my family are far too much hard work. If only fill in the blank then I would be happy and life would be so much more easy. More money, less problems. More days off, less hard work. Sounds really nice, doesn't it? But can I tell you, it doesn't give you life because you're looking for life among those things that were never ordained by God to give life. They were not designed for that. There's only one that's designed to give you life and life in all its, all its fullness. And yet so easily we drift away from him, Jesus, and appalled towards those things that we think will satisfy. And we start living like looking for the living among the dead. So why? Why do I do it? And I'm going to make a mass assumption and you can't stone me this morning because I'm not, I'm not there physically. But I'm pretty safe to assume that you do it as well, that, that you drift well, I think the why is a really great place to start. As we're invited into this new way to be human by Christ, his resurrection reminds us and invites us to ask why. See, these men, these angels that are on a mission from God, they ask these women, why do you seek the living among the dead? I wonder, do you ever ask yourself why? Why do I act a certain way? Why do I think a certain way? Do I ever question why I do certain things? There's a, a guy called Paul who wrote a massive amount on the New Testament and he was converted to follow Jesus after trying to kill those who followed him. And he writes in Romans 12 verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is saying, ask why. This is why he's writing it. That because of Jesus, we get to question why I'm thinking this way. Doing what I'm doing, why am I doing it? Why, is it? why is it affecting me like it does? Why is it that I've always struggled over the same issues in my life? Is that I was made this way? It's just, it's just who I am. I guess this is my lot in life. Why do I get angry over the thought that nobody's listening to me? Hang on, the, the Bible says, ask why. Why do you seek the living among the dead? I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of these words in, in Romans. He says, do not become so well adjusted to the culture that you fit into it without even thinking. In other words, ask why. Don't start living the way the world does just because that's what everybody else does. Ask why. And says instead, fix your attention on God. I mean, there's the place to start right now. When we are tempted to drift, when we start looking at our circumstances and ourselves and we forget to ask why, we can remember, I get to ask why. Jesus invites me to ask why. And what do we do with that why? Instead of it being a complaint to everybody else, we get to take that why straight to God. And the promise is you'll be changed from the inside out. Boy, I mean, that phrase in itself is so countercultural. You'll be changed from the inside out. You see, our culture seeks to change the outward to reflect how we feel inwardly. I feel lonely and so let's just buy a load of stuff to satisfy. But the Bible says let's deal with the inward first. It goes on and says readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. 
Can I tell you this means that Jesus is not just the saviour of your soul, but he is Lord of your life. Ian brought a great message a few weeks ago around this. In other words, I don't feel it, see it, taste it, smell it or hear it. What I hoped you would be right now, that is not what I'm experiencing. But God, you are Lord and I trust you. Readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. It means getting into the word of God. And saying sometimes this world will say this about you, God. But I know it's not true because you say this about you in your own word. And I'm going to respond to it quickly. He goes on and says, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Church, I know I need people like that around me. People that are seeking to live like that. People that will ask why when I'm doing certain things and when I can't see it. When I get caught up in a cycle of thinking and forgetting who God is, when I drift I need others who are not so well adjusted to this world's way of doing things that they notice and they notice enough and love me enough to say, John, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Because the reality is I forget. Yeah, I might be a pastor, but I forget. I forget just who God is and the circumstances and my emotions and my senses scream at me. And I forget. And this is what's happened to these women. They're at the empty tomb with the spices and the ointments. That's why these 11 disciples who knew Jesus more than anybody, closer than anybody, they say, go away with these fairy tales. It's because they've forgotten. We know this because the angels remind the women what Jesus has already said to them. It says in verse 6, he is not here, but he is risen. And then goes on. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. I'm reading this and and this week with everything I had going on and I start to see how Jesus's death and resurrection really does invite us into a new way to be human, not just theologically but practically every single day. How? Well it starts with asking why. Why do I do this? Why why do I act that way? God I'm, I'm bringing it to you. And the second is is asking why is the first but the second is remembering. See, these women's perspective shifted when they remembered. Their direction of life changed when they remembered just who Jesus was. They went to the tomb with these ointments expecting to see a dead body and expecting to deal with death. But instead they turn around having life. Do you remember what he said? So I guess the conclusion then is that we all need two angels that are going to constantly remind us uh, that, that, that this is who Jesus is. Two angelic beings in white apparel dazzling apparel who are, are going to come and just remind us John you're drifting a bit mate come on why are you looking for the living among the dead and if you have permanent access to two angels in your life then can I just ask you to use them because they're going to be really really helpful but if your life is anything like mine then that's probably not the case and so how is it that we remember because I have enough struggle remembering to have both kids with me when I'm leaving the house and I'm meant to be dropping them off at nursery and school So how am I meant to remember the story of God when I'm in the middle of life circumstances and I have drifted? How can I remember when I've already forgotten? Beautiful passage in Hebrews 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Do you remember why in this, this week of Jesus' life, do you remember why the Thursday before Good Friday is called Maundy Thursday? It's not because, like, I, I thought growing up that we're meant to mourn. I'm dyslexic, and so as a kid growing up, I wouldn't have even noticed the spelling difference. But this is Commandment Thursday. Jesus' command to his followers that we are called to love one another. This flies in the face of our culture. Hebrews 10 flies in the face of our current culture that seeks to get out of it whatever we can to be whoever we want to be. And the danger is that this current culture gets into the church without us even realising. And we get so well adjusted to the world around us we don't even notice. Hebrews 10, it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The picture here of this verse is about having a firm grip on the promises of God. The promises of God that find all of their yes and amen in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. That means that everything God has ever promised to anybody in history is fulfilled and satisfied in the person of Jesus. And sometimes when I forget and I lose a grip of that hope and those promises, I need others who will stir me up. Stir me up towards love and good deeds. It means that we need each other to ask why we need each other, to remember we need each other. See, the the third point of this amazing three-point sermon, which will satisfy so many of you as a proper message, is that we're invited into a new way to be human through the death and, and resurrection of Jesus because we get to ask why, we get to remember, and we get to do this together. And this is why this idea flies in the face of current culture, because current culture says, I don't need anybody. And I want to suggest, and and I'm not there, so I can say this and then uh, run away and no one can get me. And you're more than welcome to disagree with me on this. And I carry the baggage of being a pastor and trying to build a community of believers that are for each other. But I want to suggest that you can spend as much time on your own, singing your songs privately to Jesus, highlighting your Bible. And there are amazing things to do. And I would encourage uh, all of us to get into God's word every single day. But you will not grow in Christ more than getting alongside others who believe in Jesus and who he is and retelling and rehearsing that story, sharing with each other, whether it be a Sunday or any other day of the week, when we get together and we get together around the story of God and we ask why, why do we do this? And we get to remember just who he is and we get to do it together. Hebrews 10, it says, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church, I need you. And this goes beyond a Sunday. This goes beyond me as being the pastor. This is about all of us every day nurturing one another to live, love and look like Jesus. And I'm not saying we need to attend more services. Can I tell you that that these gathered times are precious. We get like an hour and a half in a week. When we bury that down to the amount of hours we get in a week, this is a unique moment where we get together together. And it's not just about each one of us individually. Sometimes many of you might come to church and you get nothing out of it, but you know you've spurred or you need to be reminded that you've spurred somebody on and you've, you've brought a why into their life or you've caused them to remember and it's about the other person and not you. These moments are precious. But it's not all about these moments. If this empty tomb is real, then surely it demands a complete shift of priorities and a reorientation of life to live by the values of the one who died and rose again. And don't get me wrong, if you are here this morning and you've not concluded that that grave was empty, 
that is fine. If you conclude that it's all fairy tales, you have been given the free will to make that decision and you can live in response to that decision. But if in fact it is true, if there is an invitation to a new way to be human, if that grave is no longer occupied, then it changes absolutely everything. It changes how we do family, why we do work, how we think, what we say. It changes everything about our church. That we should become known as the most encouraging community in Stratford. Hebrews 10, it says, not neglecting to be together, but encouraging, stirring one another up. Maybe this week we need to catch ourselves. When we get caught thinking a certain way or doing a certain thing, when we start to drift, living for ourselves, responding in a way that we know Jesus wouldn't, thinking in ways contrary to what God says, we need to consider how we can spur one another on. Because it's about being together. What, What can I do right now to cause others in our community to love God? And love others more. And we don't just think about it. Maybe we do it. Maybe this week there's a challenge for us to think of three people. Ask God to speak three names into our life that we can maybe call or we can meet or we can text or we can just encourage them somehow. Could you imagine if we, every single person in this room, part of our church, those here and not here, were to take three people each week inside and outside of our community and just encourage one another. And the reason I raise this and give it as an example is because that's exactly what happened to me this week. Someone texted me and what has been a really tough week where we got the message last Sunday just before I was about to preach last Sunday that Cara's dad was was really close to dying and actually he hung on for a whole week and this week I've been reading this week knowing that I was preparing this message about this this week for Jesus and it's just amazing isn't it when we go to God's word and we go with the issues of our life how God's word speaks to us and someone texted me and encouraged me and I've got to be honest, I'd started looking for the living among the dead. I'd, I'd forgotten to remember. I was caught up in a way of thinking. But this community called me out. And I think that's when the dead things start to come alive. Because I was reminded to think, why am I thinking this way? What, what, why, why am I doing this? And it starts to change. And we're reminded to respond to the truth of who God is because we remember who he is. And it's because we do it together that he has defeated death and fulfilled the law. And that starts to change how we raise our kids, how we go shopping, what we do on a daily basis, how we view our work, what we do with our money. It changes everything. What we do with our time. I want to suggest that actually the the reason I'm in church every week is not because I'm the pastor. I was in church every week long before I was ever the pastor. It's because God has transformed my priorities and I say, we get to do this together and I might be able to spur somebody else on this morning. It changes everything. And I wonder if this is what happened at the end of Luke 23, in verse 56. The very last, last chapter before the empty tomb and on that very last verse it says, Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. So the women are preparing the spices and they're doing it on the day that Jesus died. They're doing it on the Friday and then from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, it's the Sabbath. The day after Jesus died for the sins of humanity was a Sabbath. The Sabbath means a day of rest, a day of being together with each other and with God. Can I just dispel a a myth that seems to go through church these days? I'm, I'm saying it as it is this morning because I'm not there and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's nice not having your faces looking at me. <laughs> but the Sabbath is not about having a day off. Just need a day off. 
not, not going to do anything today. Just need a me day. That's not what the, the intention of the Sabbath was. It's not about doing nothing. It's about remembering. It's about being together. It's about saying why. Because the Sabbath is the very day when Jesus was in the grave. So we don't have to be. It's the very day that Jesus paid the price. And he'd said it is finished. And he was in the tomb. And the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they get to rest. No matter how prepared you are. No matter how much you can get through this life on your own, you will always come up short because you're seeking the living among the dead. But here we have one who is dead saying, now go and live. And Jesus comes and lives with us because he is no longer dead because he has risen. The fact that everyone rested the day after Jesus died for humanity reminds us he's done it. He is life. He's the reason we gather, try and remember, get together, start asking why. His death, burial and resurrection changes everything. So how's your week been? I don't know, but but how about next week we live in view of all that Jesus has done? Why? Because if we don't have to live like it depends on us, we get to remember that and we get to rest in that. And we get to celebrate all that Jesus has done and encourage one another to be a new human. That is what this life is like when we follow Jesus. I want to invite musicians, if you're still there, if anybody's still there, uh, just invite you to come up. I I just wonder if you could lead us, uh, lead the people that are there this morning in, in worship. I wonder if we can all just stand together and maybe this is a moment where you, you need to come back to Jesus and remember Remember all that he's done for you. Maybe you drifted, maybe circumstances this week, your emotions, everything that's happened. I, I don't know, maybe you just need to come back and you need to respond somehow. Uh, maybe you need to lift your hands in worship, sing this song uh, uh, as truth about who God is and who you are in him. But let's stand together. Let's encourage one another as we sing the truths of scripture through these songs. Don't underestimate the power in what you're doing as we do this together, as you prioritise this moment. And you said, I could have done any number of things today, but actually what I'm going to prioritise is getting together and spurring one another on and asking why and remembering just who Jesus is. And if you want anyone to pray with you, as we sing these songs, then, then maybe go to the side of the, the room or just come to the front or there'll be people there that can pray with you because this is another way we get to spur one another on. So let's stand together. Let's worship Jesus, the King of Kings, who died, was buried, but rose again. So we don't have to live the way this world tells us. We can say why and we get to remember just who he is and we get to celebrate that together. Amen.